0: Genesis 3, 1 to 13, with a focus this morning on verses 1 to 7. Let's stand together for the reading of God's powerful word of truth. Hear the word of God to you this morning. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. This is a very, very old question. And yet it's a very, very contemporary question. How did we get from there to here? In other words, how did we get from this beautiful, awesome paradise where man and woman were both naked and they felt no shame? Listen, in chapter 2, to the horrors That we find in chapter 4, when a young man murders in cold blood his own brother. That's a big jump. You don't have to be a genius to look around in our world today and notice that something has gone horribly wrong. Horribly. We, unfortunately, I know each week before I preach a sermon, I know I can go to the news and have an example. That's the kind of world we live in. Like this week, someone goes into a peaceable synagogue and just shoots up people. I don't know, what was the last count? Eleven people who went to worship in in the freedom of the United States according to their conscience. Not knowing that they would be their last day on this planet. Even in our text, Adam goes from saying, listen, this I, I thought of this as I was just it was percolating in my mind. Adam goes from just one chapter before saying, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man to then in chapter three when God calls him account for his evil actions to saying, it's the woman you put here. He's got no problem throwing her under the bus. One minute, the best gift God's ever given a man. Next minute, thrown under the bus. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Chapter 2. Chapter 3, God says, where are you? Only to hear, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Interesting. Yeah, naked and afraid. My wife wants me to say that's uh, Naked and afraid. That's true. That's very true. So what happened? How'd we get from there to here? Of course, you're not going to find the true, real answer to this question anywhere else on the planet. You won't find it in the secular classroom. I'm not going to tell you. You're not going to find it in the science lab, you're not going to find certainly not going to find it in the media. I promise you that. And you're not even going to find it in false religion. They ain't they don't have the right answer. It's only found right here in God's word and particularly the rest of the Bible draws on it consistently, chapter 3. It's a very pivotal chapter, it's a very important chapter, it's a very unique chapter because it tells us of the origin of this ugly word, three-letter word that we know, sin. For the theologically minded, and I'll keep this real brief, Genesis 3 has it all. You know, as I think about it, as one who's been studying the scriptures since 1986, it's got law and gospel. It's got the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, all in the same chapter. It's got original sin. It's Now listen, this will pique your interest. It's got... The reason why womanhood and manhood has gone totally awry and why we have a battle of the sexes instead of a cooperation and a complementing of one another and why our lives have gone, listen, this is important, from a walk in the park to a battlefield in the war zone. So this is what we're going to do as we cover this most important and tragic chapter of Genesis. As we look at verses 1 to 7, we're going to see this. And by the way, we're probably going to spend about three weeks here in Genesis 3. There's plenty for three weeks, but I'm going to discipline myself and we're going to do three. So this first time we're kind of going to look at The big heading is the great fall of man. I couldn't find a a, a good picture of that, so it just says the fall of man. But I would call it the great fall of man. And this morning, we're going to particularly be looking at what I would call the anatomy of sin. How do we get into this mess? All right. Next week, we're going to look at the consequences of sin, which is super important to understand as well. Um, Only when we understand that will we understand how good The good news really is, right? So this week we're going to see this very point, that man plunged the world into sin, suffering, and death when he chose to seek life apart from God. That's what's happening here. Man plunged the world into sin, suffering, and death when he chose to seek life apart from the giver of life, God. Three things we're going to see in this text as we look at the interaction, particularly between the serpent and Eve, and then for one brief verse, Adam, and next week we'll get deeper into how come he only gets one verse, up to verse 7. We're going to see, first of all, that God's word, we're going to see the way of the serpent, which is really important because it's good to know his wiles if we want to face him with God's help. So what we're going to see is the first thing he does, he questions God's word. God's word is questioned. That's his first trick. Secondly, God's word is flatly contradicted. He goes from questioning to contradicting. And then last of all, and most tragically, we're going to see that humans fell for it and God's word is disobeyed. Questioned, contradicted, and disobeyed. So let's take a look at the first one. God's word is questioned. Text starts out this way Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, a little seated out there, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now I'm going to let the word of God found in Revelation 20, verse 2 inform my understanding of just who this talking serpent mentioned in Genesis 3 ultimately is. The Apostle John in Revelation 22 refers to the devil himself as what in that passage? The ancient serpent. So there's no question here who's behind the serpent in the garden. Who is the tempter from Genesis to Revelation? It's the devil. The devil is a tempter. Look, and in case there's still a little doubt in your mind, who tempts Jesus? Three times, by the way, when he's in the desert. The devil. This time he doesn't need to be covered by a serpent. He goes straight at it. Full force. It's no surprise that the very first interaction the devil has with man concerns his tempting of the very first couple. And notice how he does this. He uses lies. That's how he does it. Think about it this way. Alluding to this very passage, our own Lord and Savior Jesus says this in John eight forty four. This is powerful, and I want you to note this. He was speaking to the Pharisees who claimed to be children of God, children of Abraham, and he says, no, Jesus says, you're not children of God. God's not your father. You know who your father is? Because you refuse to come to me and believe in me? Your father's the devil. And then these are the words Jesus uses to describe the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to what? The truth. For there's no truth in him. Wow. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. I always love to tell the story about my mom and say, you know, her first native tongue was the Sicilian dialect. Well, Jesus says the native tongue of Satan is lies. It comes natural. So it's no surprise that in our journey to discover discover how the world ended up in the sad state we see it in today, the ancient serpent had a hand in it. Now listen, to be sure, we're going to see later in this chapter, he isn't ultimately responsible for it. We're going to see who who has the full responsibility. But what we do have to see is he did play a part. He did play his role. We're going to see later who ultimately was responsible. But let's take a look right now and look at the devil's playbook. It's important for us to note it carefully because it hasn't changed today. He uses the same exact playbook. Think about that. He runs the same few plays. And here we have it. God has given us his playbook. He still uses the same method to tempt man to sin and to incur God's judgment. And this is what he does. Look. Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The very first thing he does, I want you to see this because it applies today right away directly. The first thing he wants Eve to do is question the word of God. Sound familiar? But he's very crafty. That's what the text says, the most crafty of all the creatures. He's subtle. So notice he doesn't begin right off with a a head-on confrontation. God's wrong. He doesn't say that, does he, at the beginning. He doesn't say it's not true. What does he do? He simply sows the little tiny seed of doubt. He goes on by asking her if God's forbidden forbidden them from eating any tree in the garden. In other words, look, has God restricted you from eating any tree in the garden? The insinuation is what? Well, what's wrong with this one little one in the middle? Wait a minute, is he keeping something from you? You see what's going on here? And this is what's really important to see. He's, first of all, tempting her to question the Word of God, but there's something that goes even deeper. It starts there and it runs deeper. Listen to what he wants her to question. This is powerful. He wants her to question. The goodness of God. That's important. He wants her to question the generosity of God. Listen, is God holding something back that's good for you? Is he a mean, restrictive parent? Now listen, some people, here's here's why I say it's so applicable. Some people believe this to this very day. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go as far as to say there are millions of people on this earth that when they think of God, you know what they think about him? They think that he has in his mind that somebody somewhere might be having a good time. And he doesn't like it. And the devil, the serpent, ancient serpent, wants us to begin to think Like God's holding back something good for us. Now, Eve has an answer for that. But even in her answer, we begin to see a crack. We begin to see a chink in her armor and a letting of the. Listen, listen, I'll put it this way. You know the whole idea is once you get the nose of the camel in the tent, what happens? He's coming in. And we see, unfortunately, right here, the nose is in. She's already got the nose. In the tent. Is Adam there in this point? Do yes, he Adam, is. That? He has, he He's there. We'll talk about it. We're going to get to Adam. Right. We're do, no, that's a good question. But yeah, I mean, the text, I'll jump ahead a little bit for you. The text says who was with her. Okay. I, I, so I have a hard time believing that he was only with her that last second. Then you really can't the woman well, yeah, he was there. He was there. We'll talk about that. That's right. But she, she begins to set the serpent straight when she says this. We may, eat from fruit, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. However, it's the next line that shows, in a sense, she's already gone down the path of unbelief, which leads to pain and misery. Because then she says this, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. <laughs> now, you've got to catch what's going on here. I don't want you to miss what Moses is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what's going on. This is the first instance in the whole Bible, way back when, of legalism. What's legalism? Anybody know? Adding to the word of God. You know what's liberalism? Taking away from the word of God. Legalism is adding to it. Nowhere do we find God says you can't touch it. You know, you can't touch this. No, that's not it. But he doesn't say you can't touch it. He says you can't eat from this now why do we add things to the Bible a lot of times we add because we think we're we're protecting the command did it actually protect the command for her did it help her avoid temptation no because guess what it did it made God sound even more harsh didn't it don't even touch it like God was holding, holding back something good It wasn't, what was it actually, we know, as we read the story further, that this one command of God, one, think about it, think about how simple the guard it was that we lost. One command! You know, you talk about you want to simplify your life? How about one? How many the law of Moses? Some 630 something laws? That's after the fall. Before the fall, one. And this one simple law was actually a warm, loving protection for man against absolute ruin and separation. So think about it. The devil was tempting Eve to question whether the command of God was given for her ultimate good or if it was given just to restrict her. To hold her back, listen, this is so important, to hold her back from really growing up and enjoying life. And to suspect that it's God that's keeping her from progressing and becoming a modern woman. One example, then we'll go to the second thing we see in this text. I did, I I read a a story of, there were some teenagers. It was their prom night. It was later on at night. um, It was California. They decided they were going to go take a dip in their neighbor's pool. They knew the neighbor had a pool. Now, right outside on, on the uh, fence has a big sign. It says, what? Well, keep out private property. Well, this young man busts open the fence, comes running through the gate, jumps up in the air and yells, Wahoo! At the very same time, his girlfriend screams out, no! only to have him land on the cement, neck first. That's the devil. Oh, see, God doesn't want you to have any fun. You know how much fun you could have if you were in that pool? So what? So what? this is just a stupid little sign? Nobody really cares. They don't really mean that. Hey, come on, it's a little piece of fruit. You think God cares? What's the, in, the, in the big picture? And I think it's important right here for us, even now, to stop and see that God's word to us is never to restrict us, it's never to stop us from reaching our full potential or enjoying life. When those thoughts come in your mind, when you're tempted to look at dirty pictures, That's not from God. You with me? That's from the devil. When you're tempted to hold on to that grudge and say, I'll I'll forgive him, but I'll never forget him. Never forget. Our relationship will never be the same. I'm going to nurture that and I'm going to enjoy it. That's not coming from God. Oh, if I let that guy off the hook after all he's done... How could God say, don't repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good? Pray for our enemies like Sean did? Think about it. I know my own natural reaction. We're praying for those poor victims, and Sean says that. A little bit of me goes, well, right? No, when God gives us his word, it's for our good, brothers and sisters. It's for that we might grow in grace, that we might become all that he wants us to be. For his glory and for our own good. So look at the second thing. The devil's already got the seeds of doubt in her. She's already going down the road. And now we see the second thing. God's word is contradicted flat out. So here's the issue. The serpent has Eve on the run now. She's already questioning God's word and God's goodness. It's beginning to take root in her. And so think of it this way in the boxing ring. She's reeling from his subtle attack And her knees are beginning to wobble. And the devil is like a skilled boxer. He knows when it's time to go in for the kill. You get it? He knows when it's time for the knockout punch. And he comes in now full force with everything he has. And he says this. What? You will surely not die. You know what he's doing now? Listen, this is important. God is a liar. There's no judgment. (laughs) Have you ever heard that before? There are millions upon millions of people walking this globe who laugh at the idea that there's a hell to pay to this day because they're caught in Satan's lie and his deception. So by the way, what's the root of sin? Unbelief. Eve, doesn't believe God's word. God says, you will die. Satan says, no, you won't. Every day we got to ask ourselves, who are we going to listen to? Who are we going to believe? Isn't that interesting? Way back in the garden, it's always always been about what? Faith. (laughs) Who are you going to trust? Verse 5, for God knows... Now he's going to throw some shade on God. Now he's going to the frontal attack. Now he's going to pour out all his venom. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's afraid you won't be like him. He's afraid you're going to be a match. You're going to know as much as he knows. <laughs> Here's a wonderful quote from S.G. De Graaf, an old Dutch theologian. In his uh, commentary on Genesis, and his, he has a series called Promise and Deliverance. Listen, this is powerful. Stick with me, put on your thinking cap for a moment, and listen to this because it's so good. This is what the devil was basically saying to her. You will be as God. In other words, listen to this. There could be a world in which God is not God. A world in which man is the highest authority. Just imagine such a world. Satan plays on the gift of imagination given to us by God. Because we can imagine such a world. And because Satan convinces us that it could become a reality, we stumble into a world of make-believe. As long as we think we can live without God, we have not left that make-believe world behind. Most of mankind lives in this illusionary world. We feed on this world of fantasy every day, for it offers us much that looks inviting. And that's what the world without God still does today. And that's partly what the Apostle John meant when he wrote this in his first epistle, when he said, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Did you know that's what the Bible says? The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Why? Because they bought the lie. The song uh, by Neil Morse, speaking about creation in the garden in the fall, has God crying, why have you done this? I asked one thing and then the next line but you bought the lie you chose the lie so often when we think about being under satanic influence what do we think of? come on let's be honest we think of uh, Satanists wearing long robes right? right? We think of uh, people offer, offering us uh, sacrifices of chickens and goats. We think of ram's head. We think of people that read, they have a, a satanic Bible, they read backwards. Or, or maybe we even think of the Ouija board. You know, when you're a teenager, you go, oh, or a seance. I got news for you. The devil laughs at that, that we think like that. Because I'll tell you what's the most satanic the most satanic is when he is subtly pulling the very wool over our eyes in deceit. And when he does so, coming as an angel of light. Amen. And you know, some, for some of us, I, you know, you wouldn't know it sometimes. Some of us are artsy-fartsy. You know, we love the arts. And I got news for you, the devil loves coming through that. You know how Arianism spread so much? You know, that's a teaching back in the 300s that taught that Jesus was a creation. He wasn't God. He spread it through music. Yeah, because it's pleasing to the ear. And what does music do? It moves you, doesn't it? Well, in case you think where I'm (laughs) coming from is is fantasy land, listen. Imagine there is no heaven. It's easy if you try No hell below us. Sound like somebody we just read about? Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for what? For today. Guess who? John Lennon. Lennon. Wonderful songwriter. Gifted musician. Those words, I hate to say, satanic. Satanic. And it's funny because I heard Stevie Wonder sing this song, and he tried to rescue the song. He said, Oh, John Lennon isn't talking about a relationship with God. He's talking about religion. No, he's talking about God. But thanks, Stevie Wonder. I, I put a good face on it. Listen, this is what Martin Luther said. He's been my favorite commentary on this chapter, the best, and I've read tons. Modern, going all the way back. This is what he writes. The emphasis here rests upon the words that Eve desired the tree because it made one wise. For that is Satan's purpose in all trials and temptations, to move man to regard himself as the more learned and more wise, the more he departs from the divine word. This is a satanic wisdom which is opposed to the wisdom of God. It's Satan's most subtle temptation to make man wise against and beyond the word of God. Now listen, this is powerful. He says this, This is far greater than his gross temptations to impurity, avarice, pride, and the like. In other words, this is even worse than gross immorality. And so you know, as your pastor, you may have noticed something about me. I despise liberal theology. I despise it with every fiber in my being because it disregards the word of my my God and it substitutes it with the imaginations and the opinion of man. That is the interpretation of man what constitutes good and evil. Sound familiar? What's right and wrong? What's true and false? It, it's constantly trying to be avant-garde, cutting edge, modern, ingenuitive, inventive, new. It wants to be viewed as sophisticated, highly intellectual. And listen, here's, this, here's what's important. And that's why it can never take a firm stand on the Word of God. Amen. You know why? Because it's ashamed of the gospel. Because they, God forbid, someone would think I'm a fundamentalist. Someone who literally says, God said it, that settles it, I believe it. No, man wants to be a free thinker. He thinks it's free. (laughs) He's actually in bondage to Satan, but that's as we've been seeing. One time when I was, this might give you a little application. This One time when I was young, and a little crazier than I am now, but I'm beginning to get crazier as I get older too again. I went to a Quaker meeting. We said, you know what? Let's go to the Quaker meeting. You know, well, we do these kind of thing. So we went, and I had a lot of energy back then. We go there. Now Quakers, they don't believe that God speaks necessarily through the Bible, but that everybody has an inner light, and you could stand up and just say something that's inspirational that comes from the spirit within. So I'm hearing some of these messages, and, I'm looking, and my friends are kind of looking at me like, Sam, please don't. Sam, please don't. I, I, I could tell by their eyes. So I get up, and I could see my friends die in a million deaths like, oh, no. And I get up, and I go, you know what? I believe the spirit is telling us. We need to return to the word of God. <laughs> we need to believe what the Bible says. And then I said, thank you, and I sat down. My friends were like, how do I get out of here? This, this older lady gets up and she goes, and she had this real kind of contemptuous look on her face. You can imagine. She goes, since we're not scripture bound. And then she went on to tell some other message that was like, totally unbiblical. Scripture bound. But, no, right, so now listen. Now listen, I want, why did I bring that illustration? I want you to understand that. That's what the devil wants you to think about believing the word, that it's restrictive. Scripture bound. Notice you're tied up. You're narrow-minded. You're living in a narrow way. You're not open to this great freedom, right? And yet the truth is there is a broad, great freedom once you submit to Christ and his word. There is a freedom. If the Son sets you free, free you are indeed. Indeed. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what the, the, the devil was tricking even to believing. The key to fulfillment, the key to ultimate satisfaction and growth as a human is to disregard God's word and to go after what he forbids. Trying to be God, your own boss, not realizing that old song from Bob Dylan is true. You got to serve somebody, there's no neutral. It might be the devil. Or it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. I only have two quotes from, from Dick Lucas this morning. Actually, one, because I skipped one, for time's sake. This is the one I want you to hear, because it was so good. He says, this one prohibition is given, why God gave this one command, by the way, is because if Adam is to go into this forbidden territory, and Eve, of course, it will hurt him grievously, and he must know that. God doesn't want them to be hurt. What does that prohibition stand for? Listen, this is important. It stands for the alternative to discipleship. It means that there is an alternative before man and that man is free. He may live under the word of God, obeying God, but he may choose to disobey God and to live in God's world, listen, without God's word. In other words, he may choose to find his fulfillment in the creation that God has made while disobeying the commandments of the God who gave it. And now listen, this is where I thought, ding, 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 pay dirt. Dick says this, and that is precisely what sin is. To say, thank you for all this wonderful world. I'm going to live in it without you. And that's what all your friends are doing who aren't Christians. Wow. Didn't I tell you that was a good quote? Heavy. That's real heavy. And I'll tell you, that's why it's profound. It wasn't simply eating a piece of fruit, was it? Because you know, when we try to think about it, really, it was just all they did was, no. They, they were choosing something. They were saying, I wanna, we want to live independent from you. We want to be our own God. We want to live in all this beautiful, all this stuff that you made for us, but without you. That's why, now listen, that's why it's important, because some people will say, but that pagan friend of mine seems to be a really nice guy. How could he be headed to hell? Well, I'll tell you, that's why the well-dressed, materially prosperous, moralistic family man who has his marriage intact, who lives this life without reference to God and the life to come, who does not live under the authority of the word, is just as lost and hellbound as the bum in the street who's down on his luck. You get that? Now we come to that last moment. It won't be as long as the other points, so don't get too nervous. We'll pick it up next week, but I do want to mention this last thing. We come to the faithful moment where man reaching for freedom and autonomy actually finds what? Bondage and misery. This is the moment, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, that answers why we're in the predicament we're in this morning. God's word is, it was questioned, it was contradicted, and now, unfortunately, it's disobeyed. Look at what it tells us in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And then as you were talking about, Lee, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Watching the... This is not the word, I'm saying this. Watching the whole thing go down. Back to the word. And he ate it. (laughs) And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Yeah, that's going to do it. Did they find freedom? Did they find peace, joy, and satisfaction? Were they more open with one another and loving toward one another? No, now they couldn't even bear to look at each other. And then later, we'll get into it next week, they're hiding in the very garden that was meant to be freedom, and they're to frolicking and working and playing, that garden, as one commentator says, becomes a prison with no way out. Now they can't face God. Adam fell for the, I mean, Eve fell for the lie. And this is the thing I'm glad you mentioned it earlier, the question. But Adam embraced it with open arms. Adam was more culpable because he wasn't tricked. He knew it was going down. And think about it now, because of that horrific event, we can hardly take in the horrible things that we do to one another every day. I can't stand to look at the news feed. Some days I just ignore it, i got to admit. I'm, I don't feel like looking at it. I'm tired of it. I think of uh, that movie The Green Mile where he says, I'm tired, boss. I'm tired of the way people treat each other. I'm tired of it. Because the, the guard was saying, I can let you free, I'll let you go. You know, so you don't have to be killed. You don't have to be um, face. you know... Um, Death, and and he basically is like, I'm too tired. We spend millions and millions of dollars to restrain evil by locking hardened criminals up. Do you ever think about that? We spend thousands and thousands of dollars on thousands of therapists who make a great living trying to help cure folks of the myriad of psychological problems caused by sin our own sin, and guess what? Other people's sins against us. And we act like the problem of humanity, the ultimate disconnect we feel between God and ourselves and each other is some kind of deep mystery. Huh, I wonder how this happened. I'll tell you why we chose a lie. Hook, line, and sinker, we bought it. We still choose. Think about it. We choose to live in God's world without God. And even as Christians, when we sin, that's what we're doing. We're saying, I want your gifts. I don't want you. We don't believe God's word, which says the wages of sin is what? Death. And they didn't believe it, and so they did die. They died spiritually. Later on, we're going to see they did die physically. He said, because God will tell him, from dust you came, you're going back there. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that I, I, I've done tons of funerals, and that's the saddest part. Yeah. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And the spirit goes back to God who gave it. And I take some dirt from the ground, and I pour it over the coffin. Is there no way out? Our first father plunged us into sin, death, and misery. But here's the issue, it's only when we realize how far we've fallen, all the way, that we truly appreciate and long for the deliverance that only the second Adam could possibly bring. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, who passed the test, he kept God's word perfectly. Satan gave him three tests, and and what did Jesus do? Here's the interesting thing I don't want you to miss. Jesus did what? Quoted the word back to him three times. Have you not heard? It is written. Jesus said, the truth. Take it and choke on it, meaning Satan. And then basically Satan left for another opportunity to get Jesus, but Jesus is like, I'll be seeing you three days after that. And then we're going to see who's boss. Just saying. Paul, when he's explaining to Festus, a Roman official, his calling and what Jesus sent him to do. This is what he uh, says that Jesus told him. I want you to hear this. We're, We're coming to an end here. He says, I am sending you to them, Jesus is saying to Paul, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What does the gospel do, brothers and sisters, the true gospel? It turns us from darkness to light. It rescues us from the power of Satan to the power of God. (laughs) <laughs> it gives us forgiveness of sins and it gives us a place among those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus. So secular, unbelieving, so-called free-thinking man isn't actually the enlightened one. Those people that make you think, try to make you look like you're stupid and think you're stupid because you're holding to the Word of God, guess the one who's the one really in the darkness? Amen. It ain't us. Whose understanding has been open to know the truth? Who's walking in the light of reality? Who's walking according to the way things really are in the light? It's those who put their trust in Christ, the second Adam. Contrary to the mass of humanity still represented only by the first man, Adam. Listen, man is not the captain of his own soul. He's not the master of his own fate. Guess who he's under the power of? Satan. Talking about man, unbelieving man. Who's truly free, living under the gracious, good, and glorious rule of God? Those who believe in Christ, who take him at his word, and who live in the world he created under the light and the rule of God's very own word. Now, listen. If you haven't done that today, what are you waiting for? Now, here's the cool thing. It won't bring you back into paradise yet. Yet. But it will bring you back into the fellowship with the one who's preparing even a better paradise to come where man won't be able to sin. And that happens only to those who trust not in their own wisdom and their own power to save them, but in the one and only Son of God who lived the perfect life and who did taste death, the death that we should have died, because all have sinned in Adam, but we're made righteous through faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth, even when it's painful, even when it's sad, Because we know that knowing the truth will set us free. It's only as we know reality as it really is that we can find the real answers. And that we can find true deliverance and salvation from the mess we've gotten ourselves into. Father, thank you for the second Adam. The one who can't fail. And who has won the victory. The one, as we will see in a couple weeks, crushed the head of Satan, who has won the victory. It's in his name we pray, Lord, that in this coming week, we would, by faith, live under your rule in freedom and in joy for your glory and our own good and the blessing of others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.